So let's, uh, if you're new, uh, you're, you've been away for a little bit, we've been going through uh, the book of Romans. If you have missed any of the, the series and the sermons leading up, they're online. Uh, go to lifepointchurch.org and, uh, and catch up with us. And then also on our app, we're redoing our app, so that thing should be coming soon. But uh, we hope that you are learning uh, the deep things of God. Uh, we're calling uh, this study really uh, the, the study of Mount Romans because it's a theological mountain to climb. Uh, Theology is important. It is essential for the believer. Um, many people, they say things like this. Well, I just want to love Jesus. I just want to love Jesus and I want to go to church. Um, and, and, and listen, that, that's okay for a, great, a good start. Um, but if you're content like swimming in the shallow waters, uh, we want to get you past that. Uh, grown men wearing floaties in the warm end of the kiddie pool uh, is not where you want to be. It's a little bit weird. So we want you diving into the deep, deep things of God, and that's what Romans does. Theology, in its basic sense from the Greek word, just means knowledge about God. Uh, Theos and logos, it it simply means the study of God. Uh, It is not for professors, seminary students, and pastors. It is for everyone who's a follower of Jesus to study and to know God. You will never, ever complete this course. Uh, There's always something we need to be studying about God to know who God is. So we're going to challenge you on that today. Um, I hope you had your coffee because we're going to be pressing into some deep theological concepts using words uh, and discussing things like the sovereignty of God, uh, foreknowledge, and predestination. Uh, I'm going to let you know we're going there. Now, these, these, those words in himself are a reason many pastors do not preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. Uh, it can be very, very uncomfortable, and they would avoid those things because they can be space makers in a church, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and they avoid those verses like some of y'all avoid the front rows up here. So uh, we're going to tackle those because uh, we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. Uh, to stand before God and he will say, R.C., did you preach the full counsel of God? Or did you just kind of jet ski and and hit the top things and kind of skip back the the hard stuff? Uh, So we're going to get in because some of those words, they... They give some people the willies, if we're just being honest, okay? Uh, I, when I first started preaching um, just a few years ago, uh, when I'd come to these verses and these words, man, I would hit them like a teenager hits a mailbox in the middle of the night. Man, I'd get a bat, smack it, punch the gas, get out of Dodge, don't talk about it at all, because this can be really weird. I don't really know enough about it. uh, This can cause some confusion. So I would do that. So I, I get it. I understand. But as I said, I have that responsibility uh, to preach the full counsel of God. These words, they're not man-centered words. Man did not come up with these words. They are biblical, all right? Uh, These are words that God uses in the Bible, so we are going to discuss them. Um, uh, my, my heart as a pastor is not for confusion. Um, it's just, I just want to be biblical. I want to preach to you the full counsel of God. Um, and if, if you commit, hear me, if you commit to understanding these words. You will move past confusion and fear and you'll get into a sweet spot of comfort about the God that you love. So that's where I want us to go. Uh, We've been going through really six to eight verses um, each week, but today we're going to pause and we're just doing Romans 8.28 because it is 
so theologically rich, and we just want you to memorize this verse. Let it hang on you, and uh, we'll, we'll get into it today. Before we do that, let's pray this morning. Uh, Father, before we um, open up your, uh, your holy word this morning, um, I pray, Father, that we uh, open um, minds and hearts to understanding your total and complete sovereign control of the world that we live in. It is a deep concept, Father, and, and causes some of us to, to not fully grasp it. Father, I pray that you uh, help us to understand it better, but not even with full clarity. Father, we know that this is a divine, a, um, an infinite understanding, and we have finite minds. So just help us to trust it um, in such a way that we, we, we don't run from it. We run to it. Um, teach us something about your, your holy and precious word and yourself today. We love you. And we magnify you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, let, let me let you know where we're kind of going. And I'll explain it in just, uh, in just a minute because we're going to put this idea of the sovereignty of God really to the test today. We're going to press in um, on it. But our bottom line for today is it's, it's all for good, but it's not good for all. All for good, all for your good, but not good for all. And I'll explain that in just a moment. So um, discussing the sovereignty of God, let me just kind of give you an idea, uh, biblically, a def definition of what the sovereignty of God is. It simply means the study that, that God is in complete sovereign control, active, involved in everything in the universe today, and that nothing in this universe happens outside of his direction or his permission, all right? And I want to read to you a statement of faith that LifePoint Church holds to um, when, when talking about the sovereignty of God. So let me read this and, and uh, <coughs> just listen in on this and, and let's, let's let this penetrate. Uh, we believe in the total and complete sovereign control of God in the universe. We believe he is today actively interceding in the world to accomplish his decreed will. God works not just some things, but all things according to the counsel of his own will. His purposes are all-inclusive and never thwarted. Nothing takes him by surprise. The sovereignty of God is not merely that God has the power and the right to govern all things, but that he does so, always and without exception. In other words, God is not merely sovereign in principle, but also sovereign in practice. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future of His creatures. So hold firm to that because we're going to put that, um, that knowledge and that truth uh, to the test. Let me recap where we've been in Romans. Um, really, Romans chapter 8 is Paul's encouragement to the believer. All right, so he started out in, in 8.1 out of the gate, and he wants us to give us assurance of our salvation and comfort us as believers. So out of the gate, he said, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation now, no condemnation later, and no condemnation 
forever for the life of the believer. Your salvation is secure because God is the one who instituted it. Uh, and, and I listen, I know there's still some people throughout our church that still wrestle with this idea. They still cannot grasp the grace of God and that feeling that they can never lose their salvation. I do not want to convince you that you're wrong. I simply want you to experience the confirmation and the assurance that God has secured your salvation. I desperately want that for you. So continue to pursue that uh, because Christ went to the cross so you would never, ever question it ever again. What God calls, God keeps, and, and he is the one who instituted it. And what he snatches and holds on to, he never lets go, despite of what you do. All right. So, um, and then he followed that assurance up with letting us know that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The believer uh, has breathed in the Holy Spirit, and it guides our life. It decisions. It directs our wills. Um, and then it also intercedes on behalf of our prayers. Pat talked about that last week, that when we don't know what to pray, when our prayers are jacked up and when our prayers are messed up, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and, and, and interprets those to the Father. Um, Paul's also told us that we have victory in our suffering, that all Christians will suffer, but that those who are in Christ have victory because we always hold firm that there is future glory. All right, so Paul is in a, is a, he's comforting, he's assuring us, he's loving us, he's telling us things that are good for our soul, and he continues to do that in Romans 8, 28 today. So let's see what he's got to say for us. Paul says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I started out, and I, typically I'll underline uh, words in the passage that I want you to remember that are important. And this one just had so much stinking good stuff in it. I just like I underline the whole thing. It's all good. So let's walk through and understand what Paul is saying. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a coffee cup verse. It's a t-shirt verse. It's a tattoo verse. People love hearing it. It's, it's used in a time of comfort when someone's walking through a dark season, trials, uh, tribulations, suffering. Uh, and, and, and people will come along around and they'll say, hey man, all things work together for good, brother. I mean, it's just going to work out and it's all going to be good. And what they do is, is they misuse or take this verse out of context. All right. And, and when you're, maybe you're like me, when you're going through suffering and you're going through a really, really hard time, you don't want to hear that. Like you don't want to hear this all going to work out at the end, man. You, you probably like me, you just want to punch that dude in the face Right? And then be like, what'd you do that for? Oh, man, that was for your good. All right? That was for your sanctification. Your lips swelling. That's going to be really, really good for you. All right? Uh, but here's what I want you to know. Paul is not saying that, it's, that all things are good. He's saying that all things work together for good. And we're going to unpack that because this passage is misused by a lot of people. Uh, they take that and they read that and they say, okay, well, this is just some passe, quesarasara approach. And that Paul's basically saying that whatever happens, whatever suffering you're going through, whatever trials, whatever tribulations you're walking through, it's all just going to work together and it's all just going to come out at the end. It's all for your happiness for your success, and it's just going to work itself out. And that's not what Paul is saying. 
That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that all things are good and they're just going to work out at the end. He's got something else for us. We're going to understand what Paul is truly uh, saying in this passage. Uh, remember, this comes on the, uh, the cusp of 18 through 25, where Paul talked a lot about suffering. All right? he, he, he validated, he, he said that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are going to suffer in this world. Right? That's not a, a prosperity gospel. Uh, you're going to struggle. And we know uh, that there's a difference between persecution and suffering. Uh, Christians who are persecuted are uh, beaten, murdered, uh, imprisoned, beheaded. Uh, man, ISIS persecuting people for their faith. That's persecution. We, uh, for the most part in our uh, culture, we, we suffer Right, but we don't. We're not persecuted in that kind of sense. We are not under the penalty of sin, but we're in the presence of sin. So sin causes suffering, and sin is never good. It's not a good thing, right? Christians die. The death rate's the same for us as all others. Uh, cancer. There's divorce. There's abortion. There's terrorism. There's trafficking. Um, there's all kind of things in the world. So sin is a, is a reality and is never a good thing, right? Uh, uh, just this, uh, or two years ago, uh, two years ago, a guy named Boko Haram uh, abducted 219 women in a dorm in Nigeria. Um, and the parents pleaded and they begged to God, God, would you please rescue my daughters, our daughters uh, from, from these people? Right? They must have been weeping and broken hearted. Do you think you would have come up to those people and say, hey, it's all going to work out for your good at the end. I mean, it's just going to turn out really good. God's going to mix it all up and it's all going to make you really happy at the end. Of course you would not. That is not good. And that's not what Paul's saying. ISIS is killing Christians daily. They have family members all over the world, parents, children, Brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, would you look at their loved ones and say, Romans 8.28 says, it's all going to just work out for your happiness at the end. It's going to be good at the end. You would never do that. Those are horrible, horrible things. They're not good in themselves, and they don't turn out good. That's the reality of the world. So Paul is clearly not telling us that all things are good. This week, a high school student committed suicide. Would you look at his parents and say, it's all going to work out for good? Absolutely not. Paul says it's all going to work for your good. And the problem is when we read that passage, we usually equate good with being happy. Right? We get a job, uh, uh, we get a raise, that's a good thing. It makes me happy. Uh, when we lose a job, that makes us sad. Uh, when we have a death of a loved one, that's sad. When we have the birth of a child, that's a good thing. So we try to equate this passage with good with anything that makes us happy. And that is not what Paul has promised So in order for us to understand this passage, we have to know the definition of good. What is Paul talking about if he's going to work everything for the good all things what is he talking about he reveals what the good is in 29a now let's look at it for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son this is the good the good is this 
that you are being conformed to the image of his son. That God takes all things in the life of a believer. And he will take all things and he will work them according to your good. He will continually promise to make you more like his son, Jesus. And that's all good. He is not promising earthly comfort. He's promising conformity to his son, Jesus. Now, in the present and in future glory, well, you will be made like Christ. That is the promise that Paul is making, that God is making to you, that he is going to secure. And he's going to take anything that happens in this world, all things, and he's going to use them to conform you to Jesus. And that is the good that Paul's talking about. It doesn't minimize suffering, right? We don't, we don't minimize uh, evil in the world and death and all those things. We don't minimize those things. Paul's talking about Conformity to his son, Jesus Christ. Anything that makes you more like Jesus is good. Anything that does not make you like Jesus is bad. All things. Let's talk about this for just a second. Because uh, this is a, let's go back to 28. Because this is important. He says, all things work together for good. All things. Good things We're quick to say God is sovereign over good things, right? We were quick to give him credit for all the good. But those bad things, no, God's not responsible for those things. There's a false heretical uh, view held by some professing evangelicals that simply says this. God is sovereign over all the good things in the earth. Everything that happens in the world that is a good thing, God's responsible. But God's not responsible for terrible things. They try to get God off the hook for suffering. Even though the God of the Bible often would cause suffering for those people who he called his own, who loved him, right? God does that, right? So they try to get him off the hook. They try to rob people of the comfort in this passage of 828. God is sovereign over all things. Man, sin, Evil, good things, bad things, um, idle things, all things is what Paul's saying. And that is a difficult concept for many of us to understand. Sovereign over your suffering, your weakness. You get a job, you lose a job. The birth of a child, the death of a child. The sin of man, the glory of man. All those things, God is sovereign over all Things and he's working those for your good. It even covers, listen here, even the sin of man does not disturb and sabotage the purposes of God. Even man's sin. Now we know sin is very destructive. Sin is the responsibility of man. God never, ever is the author of sin. He doesn't institute it. He doesn't uh, ever cause us to into temptation and evil. That's not the God that we love and we serve. But sin is a reality in the world, and man is responsible for the sin. The marriage that is being infected by pornography. And the intimacy between a husband and a wife and the trust between them is destroyed. Man's responsibility the infidelity in a home, 
destroys the family's soul and breaks them up. The death of a loved one who gets struck in with a carcinoma or a tumor in the brain. These are not good things. It would be very easy for many people to say God has nothing to do with those things. Those things are happening outside of the control and the sovereignty of God. But I want you to know that God is sovereign over all things. Paul says this is a great comfort that even man's sin does not thwart the purposes of God in making you and conforming you to the image of his son. Even your own or even someone sinning against you still does not disturb the good that God's going to do in your life. And I know that's a tough thing to understand, but here's the the blanket statement over that. God is sovereign over all things. Remember I told you that up top. If you know and you trust that God is sovereign over all things, it changes your perspective of God. I believe in a God who's sovereign over everything. If I leave today and a drunk driver hits me outside in my car or, or a loved one of mine, Do I believe that man has a responsibility in that? Absolutely. Do I believe that that happened outside of the sovereign control of God who tells me that he knows the day that I will die? No. My God is sovereign over all. And even if I don't love that and I don't understand that, and even though that breaks my heart, I trust the sovereign God that he says he is in the Bible. This is not an easy thing to grab, but this is the God that we love. And nothing, even including man's sin, will not disturb the purposes of God and the decreed will he has for us. This is a great promise. But here it is. The promise is not for all people. Paul gives us conditions in this verse. It's only available. It's only profitable. It's only a promise that he makes to two kind of people. And he says it's these people. Those who love God... And those who are called according to his purpose. So if you don't love God, if you're not called according to his purpose, you cannot rest on this promise. It's only for those two. Paul uses an affectionate uh, term that it's only good for those who love God. Now some people hide behind the banners of church. All right, of baptism, of reciting a mechanical prayer of salvation. And they love God for, for the things that he can give them. God can fix me. God, fix my marriage. Fix my home. Give me a job. Give me money. Give me health. Give me wealth. That is not loving God. That's loving the things of God and what he can do for you. Loving God is desiring God above all other things and all other people. Prizing him, revering him above all other things in this world. Trusting him more than anybody else in this world. Passionately loving, pursuing God more than anything. That is loving God. If you today had everything in your possession, every person in your life, everything that God ever gave you, every blessing, every curse, everything that God had ever given you came in today with open hands. And if it were all 
taken away from you, stripped away, gone, everything, every loved one, everything you ever had, all gone. And the only thing you're left standing there in your hand is God himself. Would he be enough for you? Would he be enough for you? If he is enough for you, you love him. Would those things hurt? Absolutely. But would God be enough for you? That is loving God. The second condition, Paul says, is for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, the thing about this is that you don't call. God is the one who calls. All right, we often talk about salvation. God is the one who calls you to life, and then you respond. Without his call, you are spiritually dead. You cannot call out to God. This is how your salvation works. This is how you know it's secure. It's because God called you, and you didn't call out. And whatever God calls throughout Scripture... He always keeps. It always happens. Always, always. Think about creation. When God created the world out of nothing. It's called ex nihilo. Just created the universe out of nothing. When he called out and said, universe be, it was not a suggestion to the universe to exist. It was a command. It was with authority that he called. When he said, let there be light, it was not a open-handed suggestion. Hey, light, would you come in here? It was a command. What God calls always, always is secured and it always happens. It always keeps. Now this is the understanding how it plays into your salvation because you know because of our sinful, corrupt, warped nature from birth that our entire bodies souls, minds, uh, flesh, everything in us from birth is corrupted by sin. And Romans 3, 11 through 12 tells us that we cannot even please God in our born condition. We can't love God. There's nothing that we can do that's pleasing to him. We can't seek him, Romans says. We cannot call out to God. It takes the effectual call of God calling to you first, calling to give you life, to give you the faith to stand up and believe and surrender to Jesus. You did not manufacture that on your own. God called you like he called Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. He wasn't choosing life. He was dead as dead could be until Jesus said, Lazarus have life. And he rose and responded. That's how you responded to the gospel. When you know that, then you know your salvation is secure. But there's still so many people that wrestle with this idea because they think that they had something to do with it on the front end. So if they had something to do with it on the front end, they must be responsible for keeping it. And they say things like this. Well, what if, what if my faith grows cold and dies what if I just walk away from all of it and I leave God and I leave this place and I leave church and I leave Christ and I leave everything forever and ever now I'm not talking about a season but you walk away from God what about then the response is if you do that you were never called to begin with what God calls he always 
keeps. The grace he gave you in saving you, he will keep you loving him. He will keep pursuing you. He will not let you go. That is a freedom that very few taste. And that is the prayer of the pastor that you understand that it is God who calls and that is the God who secures who you are. We don't have to fear condemnation anymore. So recapping where we've kind of been, this promise, this great comfort passage is only good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. If you do not love God, if you, don't, if, you, you, if you rejected his son Jesus as Lord of your life, then you don't love God. If you don't love God, then here's what all the things in your life, here's what they do. All your good things, all your bad things, all your indifferent things, every event in your life, Romans 2.12 says this, that you are storing up things for wrath on the day of judgment. So all your good things, marriage, the pursuit of the American dream, the house, the car, the wife, the kids, the job, all the, all the great things in this world that make you happy, and even all the bad things, all of those things are stored up for wrath on the day of judgment for you. You're storing up not all things for your good. You're working on things that are for your damnation on the final judgment. That's what Paul is saying in this text. It's only for those who love God and are called to his purpose. Now here's the other great part about this passage. It says that this, <clears throat> according to his purpose, his purpose, not yours. You exist in the world for his purpose, not yours. God is for God. Ultimately, I said this a few weeks ago, and that kind of people are like, what do you mean by that? Listen, God is for God. Ultimately, he's for himself and his own purpose. Does God love you? Yes. Does God provide for you? Yes. Does God bless you? Does God care for you? Does he have provision for you? Yes, 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 yes. But the ultimate motivation of underneath all of those things is for his own purpose and not yours. When you think that God simply exists to partner with your awesomeness, you are misusing and missing who God is. You know how much frustration is birthed out of you and I thinking that the universe exists for us? Right, That God is for, surely God's for me. And you even see this prosperity junk preached around the world, the country, that God is for you, 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 you. And yes, he is, but they champion that above who God is. He's for his purpose. There's such frustration when you think that everyone exists for you. Think about how that plays out in relationships. Dating relationships, engagements, marriages, that person exists for the sole purpose of making me happy. They're my slave to my happiness. They're not. They're co-laborers for Christ to make you more like Jesus. Such frustration when we think the universe is about us. Man, we start to understand that God is for God. For the praise of his own name, that we get to partner with him in this whole thing and making his name famous. God's going to accomplish his will in this earth. He will, with or without us. He's just invited us in to the plan. 
We're, we're glad participants in the glory of his own name. What is his purpose? Man, some people say, what's my purpose in life? What do I exist for? What does God want me to do? What, what am I here on this earth for? If you're a follower in Christ, don't ever, ever, ever ask yourself that ever, ever again. You exist for his purpose, to make much of him, not to make much of you. By making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's ultimately how we do that through the Great Commission. That's your purpose. The context will change. But for every single follower of Christ, you were created, you exist, you were saved, not for yourself, not so you could get heaven. You were saved for his purpose on this earth, to make him look amazing. That's our purpose. Now here's what else Paul says after this. It says this is a certainty. Go back up. He says, and we know. We know with certainty, not with uncertainty. We know that he's doing all of these things. Not a guessing game. Not a, 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 an American hope. I hope this happens. It says that we know with certainty. How do we know this? Because we believe in the sovereign control of God. In principle and in practice. Actively interceding in this world world day to day the same God in the Bible exists the same today interceding working all things according to his purpose we believe in it from beginning of time to the end of time the beginning of ages to the end of ages God is sovereign let me show you this principle in Isaiah 46 9 through 10 remember the four, former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God. And there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. He declared the end and the beginning. The beginning of time to the end of time. He declared it. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose his purpose nothing's going to disturb and thwart God's purpose because he is sovereign over all past present future look what he says here in Ephesians in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will he works all things according to the counsel of his will God's working all things, even, even sovereign over the responsibility of man. Now listen, here, there's a doctrine of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility I talked about. You will never, ever see where those two things intersect. You're never going to understand them. You'll never see clearly because you have a finite mind like I do. I could study it all day long and I will never grasp how God can be sovereign over man and his responsibility. I don't get it. I know they coexist and I know nothing happens outside of God's sovereign control. That even man's own sinful deeds and man's own actions still do not disturb God's purposes. He's not, he didn't wind up the clock and sit it out there and say, hey, y'all go have at it and I'll catch you at the end. I hope it goes well for you guys. 
or he didn't throw out the world and then he's actively, he's reacting to all the things that are going on in the world. That's not God. He's predetermined the existence of the world for his will. He actively trumps man's will. And I'm going to show you this um, in, a, in a text because you know the story about Joseph and his brothers. All right, Joseph, who was uh, Jacob's son, one of the tribes of, of Israel, the 12, and he was daddy's favorite son. He was, he was pretty, and he could interpret dreams, and he started boasting. His brothers did not like him. They wanted to kill him. All right, so instead of killing him, they ended up selling him into slavery after throwing him in a pit, and they told his dad that they had been killed, he'd been killed by an animal. So, um, so here's Joseph. He gets sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood. Right? That's not a good thing, right? Man's, man's responsible for all those things. His brothers are doing evil, evil deeds to, to their brother. And then he gets to Egypt, and it just gets worse for Joseph. He gets accused of rape, and he gets thrown into prison all right, for 10 years. These are not good things. These are things that man is responsible for and causing all of these not good things. Through a set of circumstances, Joseph rose in power after interpreting uh, some dreams. He rose in power to be the VP in Egypt, second in command over all of Egypt. There was a great famine in the entire world, and Egypt was the only place that had peace. So the brothers traveled. They come to Egypt to come get food, and they go and stand before Joseph. They do not recognize who he is, but Joseph recognizes who they are. And he looks upon them, and you would think that Joseph would have great anger in his heart. You tried to kill me. You sold me into slavery. I had to do 10 years in, in a prison here, all because of what you did. What does Joseph say to his brothers? When they see him, they're probably fearing, fearing that what he might do, revenge and death. What does Joseph say to his brothers after seeing them? He says this. For those are asked for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. They did evil things. Thrown in prison, killed, murdered, sold into slavery. But all of those things... What we just heard, that it accomplished God's sovereign plan, that Joseph would rise in power in Egypt to be, many would be kept alive. God was not reacting. He had predestined and predetermined that this would all take place. God is sovereign over the evil deeds of man. Think about the greatest injustice, the greatest travesty ever in the history of the world, the crucifixion of Jesus. Evil men Killing an innocent man. Judas betrayed. Pontius Pilate authorized it. King Herod wanted him dead. The Jews gladly, the Roman soldiers, they all wanted him dead even though he was innocent. Evil deeds, sinful deeds of man. What did Peter say in Acts? Listen to what he said. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. You anointed Herod and Pontius Pilate. Basically, God appointed them. All right? They weren't outside of his authority. He appointed them along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. 
Listen, here's why he did all that. Here's why God sovereignly orchestrated it. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Judas wasn't acting on his own authority. The Jews weren't crying out for anything that God had not permitted. Pilate, Herod had no power over God. He had orchestrated the whole thing. Jesus was born to die. It was predestined to take place before the foundation of the world. Even the sinful deeds of man did not disturb God's decreed will that Jesus would go to the cross. That was his plan the whole time. This is gold. All right, this is absolute gold. This is letting you know today, listen, that anything that you are going through today, that either what you're own walking in by your own guilt, your own sin, what someone has done to you in the past, present, or will do to you in the future, no matter if you get struck with cancer, no matter if a loved one dies, no matter if you get a divorce, no matter if you, uh, man, you suffer from addiction, no matter what happens in your entire life, that nothing is going to disturb God's ultimate purpose of conforming you to his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing outside of the sovereignty of God. That is a comfort for the soul. You won't understand it fully. Like I said, we don't believe in fate. We don't believe in karma. Please don't use that language. We believe in God, a sovereign God who is over all things, and nothing happens outside of his direction and his permission in this world. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the most important thing in the world is what you think about God. The first thing that comes to mind, what you think about God. It determines everything about you and what you do and how you live. Uh, This is a, like I said, this is a rich passage. It's comforting to the soul. This promise today, the guys are going to come back up. This promise today is only for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now listen, if you are here today and you have never surrendered that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, that means he runs the show. He calls the shots in your life. Everything that you do, you passionately pursue him, you love him. If you do not and you have never made Jesus Lord of your life, then listen, you don't love God. Because God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and you've rejected him as Lord and Savior. So you don't love God and this promise is not for you. But let me let you in on a secret. If that's you and you're here today, here right now in just a moment, there's people in this room that are praying that you actually become a Christian. All right? Maybe they haven't told you that yet. They invited you here today. You're kind of feeling things out. We want you to become a Christian. We want this promise to be true for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you don't love Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, you are not with God. You are against God. We want you to give up on you and give in to Jesus. 
So you have purpose, you have promise, you have hope in the midst of a life that's just full of suffering. Suffering's not going anywhere. It's here. We want you to know that assurance that God is in control. If that's you today, go talk to somebody. It has to happen with a call of God in your life first. That's the initiation that God calling you. Is God calling you to something greater than yourself? If he is, go talk to somebody in the back today. Let's pray. Father, we cannot even begin to understand you to the depths of who you are. We don't claim to. We desire to know you more and more deeply. Father, I pray that this church and the people here today begin to trust in your sovereign hand, that nothing in their life has befalled upon them that has not first passed through your hands. God, we don't know a lot of things about you. We don't know why you you allow sin. We don't know why you allow suffering. We don't know why you allow abortion and trafficking and terror. We don't know those things. But we know that you promise to conform us to your son, Jesus Christ, despite those things. Help us to trust that truth. And may it permeate in our lives and change the way we live. We love you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.